0: Welcome to the Freedom to Learn podcast, exploring freedom, autonomy, and social justice in education. This recording was made at the 2020 Freedom to Learn online forum.
1: Hello, um, I'm Alexi. Um, I'm a 37 year old software engineer. Um, I was diagnosed with dyslexia at university at 20, and with ADHD um, a couple of years ago at 35. And last year when I was volunteering at the Freedom to Learn forum, Um, I talked about my ADHD and some experiences um, in between sessions, and it led to lots of interesting questions and discussions. And I'm hoping that we can lay some baselines um, and some uh, some understanding of what ADHD is here, and then um, have more of those discussions and and have time and space for that. Um, And also presenting with me is Sarah, who's going to be talking later. Hi,
2: Um, I'm Sarah. I also was diagnosed as an adult, but I'm not ADHD. I am dyspraxic and I am autistic. Um, And the reason for the photo, because we had a little bit of discussion over this, is I see things from a different angle. um, And that's one of the big things for me that my neurodiversities allow.
1: Thank you. Okay. Um, And then, and I think I've already talked about timing, so that's jump straight in no seriously don't be beeping right now now is not the time (laughs) okay (laughs) squirrel um so uh attention deficit hyperactivity disorder is a terrible name for adhd um our problem isn't a deficit of attention it's a problem with regulating uh, attention and um and a bit about how that works or why is about neurotransmitters um so in a neurotypical brain there's enough neurotransmitters that the water level is above all of these locks um and any new impulse you get can surf straight over the top of them and so if you uh if you need to go and brush your teeth or take a shower or walk the dog or do that thing that you you'd be mean to do for years um it will actually get through to you and, and you'll go and do it um, and with ADHD the just the the, the the tide level is a lot lower so you need a bigger wave and the, those the, each of those impulses come with their own wave. and the bigger the wave the more likely you are to do it so things that really engage you whether positively or negatively with stress or with joy are really really attractive and really sort of shiny and and so that's why we are pick tangents and have strange corners and so with that sort of basic layman's metaphor of the science, as I understand it, as someone with ADHD. um, uh, So the way it is diagnosed is, so it's a neurodevelopmental disorder that's diagnosable in children and adults. um, And it can come in three different presentations, um, primarily inattentive, which is your daydreaming or losing time, um, difficulty focusing or careless mistakes. Um, or it can be primarily hyperactive impulsive, which is your restlessness or fidgeting, running around the garden. Um, and in adults, or in, and actually in, sometimes in girls, um, those uh, societal expectation of not moving about and not fidgeting and not doing those things can turn that kind of restlessness inward. So it can be things like ruminating or rumination in thoughts. Um, and in, so, in sort of social expectations, it can be unable to wait your turn or interrupting others. And, the, and also there's a, a third presentation, which is combined, which is a, a mix of both of those. And of course, while some people, well, sorry, everyone will experience some of these some of the time, a diagnosis is dependent on being severely impaired by them over a long period of time. Um, and so I wanted to really start with some of the benefits, actually, and... Um, and essentially, um, one of my favourite YouTubers, uh, How to ADHD, she had a, a list of her ten favourite things. Um, there's a link there, um, and and I just sort of want to take it take you through some of them. So definitely, we are enthusiastic. I think that's obvious. We care about the things we love. Um, and where sometimes we can be not really bothered about the risks of what that might mean. Um, and those those joys that we have can mean that we're creative and especially it means that we can be surprising and we can do things that people don't expect, which gives us a good sense of humour, I think. Um, and we're resilient. We've tried a lot of things and we've failed at a lot of things and, and that can give us that sort of structure into our life that means that we can pretty much take it all. Um, and that means that we're forgiving of other people when they fail and we're generous with our time. Um, and certainly um, I'll go a bit more into a bit of it later, but that ability to hyper-focus on those things we love um, is certainly um, I think a real benefit. Um, and I think for anyone who thinks they might be ADHD and worried about it, I'd like to say one of the benefits is that you're part of a tribe and you're not alone. This is something that a lot of people uh, have with them and i was about to say suffering i don't want to (laughs) this is something that a lot of people have as part of who they are and that's okay Um, and we and as adhd people we tend to excel at things that are urgent or challenging um, or that are new and novel um, and, and things that are of personal interest. Um, one of the people um, I met in my first ADHD group social is a nurse, and she hates the paperwork. She hates all of the, all, all the mundane bureaucracy that she has to do and all the rules when they change and the reading she has to do to, to make that work. Um, but the moment someone comes in on a crash cart, she's there. And that's, she's the one that everyone wants to be there and she's the one that knows what to do and doesn't panic. And doesn't, so we're really good with those situations with a lot of adrenaline. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, yeah, with definite benefits there. And of course, there are some not so good things. Um, it's comorbid with a lot of other things. Um, so emotional dysregulation. Um, and s- specifically, I think it's becoming more and more tightly linked now. Something called rejection-sensitive dysphoria. Um, And I'll go into a bit of my experiences with that later. Um, But also, learning disabilities like dyslexia, dyspraxia, dyscalculia, Um, these are all things that are linked with ADHD, as well as general mental health issues like anxiety and depression. Um, So, a bit about me uh, and my journey to finding ADHD. Um, At school, I excelled in subjects I was interested in, um, but I struggled. And, was, and that struggle was kind of hidden when I wasn't interested in something. Um, I would get GCSEs of A's and things from maths and physics, but I would struggle to um, get English above a D or an E until suddenly it was this big focus that my teachers and my parents wanted me to focus on. And I put a lot of attention into English and I was able to bring that up to a C. That was later diagnosed as dyslexia as part of uh, university, sort of after the fact. But That pattern of not being able to have that same level of um, baseline on all of my subjects was definitely something that was key to my dyslexia diagnosis. And that pattern of doing well when I'm interested and maybe not doing so well when I wasn't interested continued into my working life after university Um, and and, and into my personal life. In my personal life, I was resilient to stressful events. And so, for example, buying a house the month after I was married um, and having that house flood a year or two later and having to spend pretty much a year in in, in homes provided by the insurance company and and dealing with all of that and then taking a risk and getting my dream job uh, and then losing it three months later, um, I built up a lot of resilience, um, but essentially the... Ways I was unpacking and processing those sort of traumatic events um, basically left me more fragile. And uh, eventually I turned to CBT and traditional therapies at uh, 33, and, and that was amazing. And, and it gave me that space and those tools to see what was going on. And so that one meant that when I was then working at this truly boring job. really struggling to read a sentence off the screen and and, and trying to figure out what I was going to do about this problem, I I saw it as a pattern and and then once I then got a a sort of a list or or an understanding of what ADHD symptoms looked like, suddenly the pattern looked like puzzle pieces and the pieces fit. Um, I was able to get a GP uh, referral and it was about nine months to get a diagnosis and then another nine months to get medication um so what that looks like though so those patterns those puzzle pieces was i'll say the sliding attention um and and it is a very tactile feeling of like sliding off the screen um or lost time to things that really catch my interest trouble planning or prioritizing um my friends can tell you i was often late (laughs) um and and not because i didn't care about things but just i don't understand time the same way other people do and um stuckle looping thoughts was a big problem so after having that exit interview for that dream job i i was trying to solve the rubik's cube of how to fix that social situation what was the one thing i could say what was the perfect point i could make that that would have given a different outcome and of course there isn't one um, but but my brain tries to solve social situations the same way it tries to solve other problems and so it was putting me in that um and i can be easily overwhelmed um, with anger or unexpected outbursts. Um, now, my idea for this presentation had a lot more superheroes in it, and this is one of the only two that are here. And, and that made me feel like Bruce Banner in The Hulk. It made me afraid of this, un, um, this, this part of myself I didn't understand, um, and, and that was one of the things that sent me looking for, um, for help from a therapist. Um, and then there's social expectations as well, reanalyzing those social situations like that Rubik's Cube or feeling like I was falling behind my peers or trouble meeting my potential. Um, and then being diagnosed certainly was a big part of that. And then getting the medication um, was is incredible. I could actually focus on something that was boring and, and do it. Uh, I, I was in control of my focus. I got to choose um, what I paid my attention to. Um, and 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 in fact, um I think I've only ever missed uh, and unlike some other mental health medication which has a long acting uh lifespan in the body, so it, it can take weeks to start working and then take weeks to stop working, that kind of thing. Stimulant medication is very fast acting and it has a very short half life. So the, the dose I took this morning will be out of my system by by the time I get to sleep tonight. Um and, and that has some really interesting things. So when I missed a dose recently because of yeah, pharmacy stuff. Um, I had a day without it, and 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 that's my only my second day where, where that's been since I started taking it. The 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 day sort of maybe a year ago was was sluggish because I was doing something I didn't enjoy. It was really hard. I could feel that difference of how hard it was to keep my intention reined in. Um, and the one last week, it was much more like I was able to complete because I was enjoying what I was doing, or or at least I knew it needed to be done. Um, I was able to apply my attention to this thing. And then the next day I was exhausted and had to take days off work um, just because the amount of effort it took to be normal on that day. Um, So, and controlling focus is a massive part of that problem, but it isn't everything. Um, There's this thing of we, have socialized ourselves to check with others about what is appropriate behavior because we're very used to being told no don't do that that's this is not the right time to jump out of your seat it's not the right time to speak it's not the right time to do this or that and that means that we sort of develop this um we can this is where the uh rejection sensitive dysphoria comes in it means we are, there is a a, a tendency to really overvalue authority figures and 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 undervalue our own work so i think back into my early career i was always checking with line managers i was always checking on doing the right thing because i wasn't able to 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 figure out what was right myself or if i was i didn't trust that voice it means we can be very perfectionist and it means that also once we have a rule we are very likely to stick to it, and we are going to be, we're going to be rigid with it, and also we would expect others to be rigid with it too, because if we're expected to follow the rules, we would think others should too. Um, so, and, and yes, and, and, and the kind of orbit stuff as well, okay. Um, but, so my powers, um, so hyper-focus can be amazing. Um, the ability to to control what I'm doing and, and to maybe to turn it to something that isn't exciting now, but might be worth it in the future, having that not everything be immediate um, dopamine hits, <laughs> that's, that's a real benefit. Um, and, and it is amazing to feel lost in something. Um, and uh, there is a, a weird side effect sometimes, which is that feeling of I've been hyper-focusing, but I've, not been, but I've been stuck on a problem. And so I've built checkpoints into my day where I try and come out rather than just banging my head against the wall, trying the same thing over and over. I sort of come back and check, is is this still the right way to to be doing because of that sort of stubbornness to just want to solve it. Um, But yeah, so I, throughout my career now I can see I've often had a unique point of view when problem solving and I can see more clearly now what I'm bringing to the table. Um, when when I'm trying to solve a problem with, with people I'm working with, and I think I'm much better at indulging my curiosity, or or at least I value what my curiosity is telling me a, a, a lot higher than I used to. If I'm curious about something, I tend to want to follow the thread now, and know that that's okay. And 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 also like also know when it's okay that it dropped. Like you know, I I think it's a common ADHD trope to have a million failed hobbies. And I'm actually okay with that. Like this, you know, this is my knitting ball that was really useful for me for two weeks and I haven't touched it since. So that's it's like it it served its purpose and its time. I'm quite happy with that. Um and I've been much better more recently at finding validation in my kind of creativity. I used to think, so I couldn't draw, or I couldn't do this, or I couldn't do that. And 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 recently um I've been doing sort of little art projects and noticing. The ones that I really enjoy, and they might not be what I would call traditional art. It might be a gift of a rug slowly moving up the stairs that brings me and my friends joy. It's not going to hang in the gallery necessarily anywhere, but it's something that I made that made me and the people around me happy, and that that's joyful. Um, and and trying not to be so afraid of failure. Um, failure is just feedback. It's just information that the thing you did came with this outcome. And if you want a different outcome, you might have to do something different. I recently started taking on a role in my team of Agile Coach, which is actually trying to encourage that kind of methodology of taking the things that go wrong as input into changing your process And so now it's not just my job to do that for myself in my day-to-day, in my work life, but to also encourage everyone in my professional sphere to do the same. And like the eureka moment of realizing that I could take that on was uh, truly special. Um, And I think I'm trying and I'm, I'm much better at being secure in my value and in my diversity. Um, And so uh, you can wear the mask, you can be the superhero, you uh, you can be special and you can take the, the powers that you have and, and move them forward. Um, and yeah, that message means a lot to me. So there's also a bunch of um, sources in here that I'd like to draw attention to. Um, so there was uh, the ADHD Foundation recently made a, a nice paper about what to expect when you come to the NHS with ADHD. Um, so I've linked that there. Um, and they're a really good, good charity organization. They seem to be aware of a lot of interesting things. Um, the YouTube channel, um, How to ADHD, um, is, is the first place I found which was giving ADHD advice to people who had ADHD. A lot of the sources that came before that channel was around a few years ago, were aimed at parents with ADHD children. And that was part of that s- switching language to talking to people who have it. Um, and definitely, I'm part of building that tribe. Uh, and if you've ever had trouble with um, mental health issues that have affected your employment, I can highly recommend the Richmond Fellowship. Um, they're very really good at talking you through how to navigate getting a job or, or, or with job difficulties when you're dealing with a mental health issue. Um, so, I sped through all of that <laughs> as I expected I would. Any questions uh, and um, any discussion? Good to you.
3: Yes, um, I have a question.
1: Please. Um, what does ADHD stand for? So it's attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Um, so let me put that here. Um, so there we go. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Cool. So yes, uh, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder um, is is, but it's not. It, the name sounds funny because it sounds like it's a problem with the deficit of attention, but it's actually about either being hyperactive or inattentive.
4: Um, can I ask about, you because you mentioned obviously dyslexia, and I have dyslexia and dyspraxia diagnosed as um, a young teenager, but I just wondered, you didn't talk as much about that in terms of how that might fed in or your experience with that and obviously you were diagnosed with that earlier yes. and how you feel that is different and 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 you like you said the similarities because it's they they overlap yeah so aspects. Um,
1: so the dyslexia for me was always i think actually i've probably been misdiagnosed if that made sense but it was a very helpful diagnosis at the time based on what because at the time you couldn't be an adult with adhd when i, mm. when I was at university at mm. 20 if you were over 18 you it was impossible for you to have it mm. part of the definition of what it was was it was a thing for children which is something that's changed things. yeah yeah um, so uh, based on the fact that i love to read um, but i can only read things i'm interested in i can read fiction but i can't read nonfiction. Like that kind of thing I can write, but only in a certain type of way. I can type; I can't handwrite, or all that kind of thing. Like if I, mm. if I'm constructing an email to someone, I'm horrified. Like it, it takes me a, it, a lot. Like I trained myself a bit now to to kind of fire and forget, and try not to edit because when I'm not trying to edit, I could be there writing a three-line email for half an hour. Um, mm. Just because of that, and maybe that's because of the dyslexia thing, um, right. but certainly there's, for me, it's, it's sort of more, I'm probably more ADHD than I am dyslexic. But a lot of the support you get as a, a dyslexic at university certainly matched what I would need anyway. So it's, I think diagnosis is useful if it's useful to the person who has the diagnosis. Mm. It it was a useful diagnosis for me, and dyslexia was a a useful diagnosis for me because it got me access to the help I needed, Mm. and so I think mostly it's about getting that access. Um, Did that answer your question? Yeah,
4: yeah, it does, yeah.
5: Can I ask
1: you a question? Yes, yes, please
5: do. Um, Firstly, do you think you were talking about being resilient? And do you think that's common amongst ADHD people or do you think you've just managed to fluke that one?
1: Um, I can't speak to everyone. And and that was definitely, but I, the more I am aware of what ADHD is and how it can present more possibly ADHD people I know, if that makes sense. And Um, if I think to the people who are either looking for a diagnosis or have one, or the people who just have the spectrum, if they they, they just have some of those traits, they are probably the most resilient people I know, and they have been through the most hardship because they have struggled. And and I think I, uh, yeah, the, the, the idea of that resilience came from, from, from Jessica, the YouTuber, but I, I agree with it. I think it. Many things can make you resilient, and I think certainly living differently, living in a world that wasn't built for you, is going to mean you you have some more struggles and and you have to get through them.
5: Can I ask you a second question? Of course. Um, I specialise in working with people with um, about what happens with their mental imagery, and I just wondered how good your
1: mental imagery is. Um, that that's a really good point, actually. I um. So, and this is actually common. I've, um, I can't remember where I picked this up. This is just one of the things that I have logged in my brain that for, 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 can be a part of ADHD um, is that we have the ability to essentially remember something as if it was happening. Yeah. And not in that um, kind of, I think it's uh, the, there is a, the, a word for when you like photographic memory, not in that photographic memory way, but in that emotional texture way. I can think back to memories that i have as a kid and and have that full palette of emotional memory and, and i've confirmed that to like the people who are in the room at the time that that is a real thing that happened and and this that and it's an, an element of that when we reprocess memories we don't have the timestamp that we put on them Mm-hmm. So, so a, a typical brain, when they remember something, that they're, they're re-remembering it. They're remembering it, processing it, and storing it. And, and we will do. We can do that reprocessing bit, but we don't necessarily also store. And this memory was ten years ago. So so you might remember something and have that element of time that came with it, um, as a typical person. But if you're not typical, you might actually just remember it as if it was yesterday. Um, and and it's hard to have that emotional distance from things sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, and so yeah I can I've um, even actually just like hmm, thought experimenting what a story might look like um, and and gotten emotional about it can see it so clearly that I can that this you know fictional what if experiment has made me sort of go oh that's that's quite important or quite that's hit on something so yeah I think I have a very clear imagination yeah
5: great thank you
3: Thank you for the presentation. It's Emma here. If I have a, a quick I need to do very, very much on the heavy emotional impact of memories and thought experiments, it's quite interesting that you picked up on that because I've never associated that with ADHD. Mm. Um, that's more of a comment. As a question, how important do you think it is that those of us who either are diagnosed or are waiting for an ADHD diagnosis? share that with people in our lives such as partners and friends and work colleagues or do you think that could actually have a negative consequence
1: so i think it comes down to what pre what what opinion or what predisposition they would have to the label if they don't know what it means they don't know what it means to you so it's very easy for them to to think that it's one thing when actually to you it might mean something else. Um, I think for people you trust and for people you are willing to put the effort to educate what your ADHD or what your diversity means to you, then it's definitely worth it. Um, and, and for loved ones, I would say absolutely. Um, like I would hope that they are the people willing to give you that time and the space to understand you and, and, and the ways that you can be helped and the ways that you can provide in a way that might be different from how they expect. With work institutions and stuff, that's something I definitely talked about with the Richmond Fellowship, which is why I mentioned them. After I had my diagnosis, applying for a new job, not knowing quite how much to disclose. Um, and I definitely, possibly foolishly, I'm not sure on this, but I, I was really proud that I got to my like, six month probationary review and before I even had to mention or chose to mention that I had a, a neurodiversity. Um, and I don't know if that's me not trusting or me not understanding or, or not knowing what the culture might be in a place that it wasn't in. Um, but yeah, there's there's an element of, I, I can understand some some nervousness when you don't know how they're gonna take it. But But certainly I think time spent talking about what your diversity means to you is worth it. Hey
2: Sarah. I was just going to add on to that. Um, I am slightly different in the way that I've um, spoken to work about my diversities in that I am upfront open This is who I am and this is what I need. And one of the things that is really helpful is if you do decide that it's going to help you um, to say, look, I'm going to need to be treated in a slightly different way um, to be able to say, and this is what I and this is what I need. So for example, um, when I got the job that I'm in now. Um, there was one of these processes where you had to do a—you had to come in and you had to do a test, which was a written test. Um, because of my dyspraxia, my handwriting is rubbish. I can't read it, can't expect anyone else to read it. Um, so I, I contacted them and said, I have dyspraxia, I can't really handwrite to a standard that would show you what I know. Um, so is there something in place that would allow me to type this either a provided laptop that can print or a printer that I can hook my laptop up and I immediately said I have a laptop if you're happy to have a pen drive or you're happy for me to hook up to one of your printers then I can provide the technology I need to do your test but I can't do it handwritten so how are we going to find a way that I can get through your uh, your process. Um, but having that information about, well, actually, these are the various different ways that you could try and tackle this, helps them to then go, oh, this isn't someone who's just going, well, I can't possibly do that. Mm-hmm. It's someone who knows what they need and can then say, well, actually, let's troubleshoot mm-hmm. this. Um, and they tend to be a lot more they tend to respect that a lot more in process. In certainly mm-hmm. in interview processes, they tend to respect that kind of. Actually, there are loads of different ways to do this. These are mm-hmm. the ways I can think of. What's going to work best for you?
1: Certainly, my 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 dyslexic diagnosis helped me with that. It made me be more confident in saying things. Oh, you want to do a psychometric pencil test? No, like yeah. Um So, I, 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 and I think the yeah being in an employment process being um, uh, uh, oh, the word i 'm trying to synonym is ballsy but but being uh, being uh you know uh, being that uh, and and asking for something proactive. because you need it proactive thank you <laughs> being proactive mm. is, is a really good idea for what to, to help them to help you show mm. off your best mm. yes yeah, so assertive without being aggressive thank you
0: Can I ask, please, Uh, Alexi, um, you've said that CBT and the um, uh, medication is a real game changer for you, Um, and uh, the whole presentation is really interesting, thank you, it's brilliant. Um, I was just wondering, uh, once you'd established those, uh, did you find any other things helped as well. Did you explore any other sort of complementary things uh, that to further support your, you know, the way that you manage your situation? Did you use anything like mindfulness yes. or breathing or anything like that? Yeah. Um, but,
1: um, so yes, um, so I have a bullet journal, and this is my, I think, my third or fourth of these. And um, what the reason I like that as a as a structure is that it's flexible, in that you can start it one thing one day. And be a completely different system the next day, and it'll still all make sense if you, based on the foundation of what bullet journal means. And it was actually invented by so a uh, writer, Carol, who invented the bullet journaling system, is ADHD. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, so you mentioned mindfulness and actually it doesn't work for me and it makes my um so something i have learned about myself over this period of time i've tried many mindful apps and and all that sort of thing and you know after two or three days i've just given up because it didn't do anything but the first time i was in a a group mindfulness situation where after the session everyone was talking about how amazing the experience was for them i had to run out of the room because I was still on my to-do list, my shopping list, my, oh, when I get back to campsite, so I've got to do this and that. And, you know, I couldn't push away those thoughts. And, and a lot of, um, there's a lot of different types of mindfulness, but the most common types of mindfulness that might get pulled out in an office environment or, or whatever, those sort of generic mindfulness things don't accommodate my particular brain chemistry, and they can actually heighten my anxiety around those intrusive in, 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 in thoughts. Whereas if I um, and, and and this is something I learned from my I have an ADHD specialist therapist that I'm working with currently, um, something that and I've worked through with her is is a grounding technique. So we are parallel processing. We 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 can feel lots of things at the same time, and so trying to fill up those slots with lots of different experiences can slow us down and, and bring that peace and that calm that other people look for when they have mindfulness meditation. So that could be, you know, the feeling of the floor on your foot and and your ass in the chair and and the the breeze, if you're lucky enough to have one, it's very hot. Um, you know, having, and and grounding yourself on those physical sensations can, even if you have those, that undercurrent of thoughts is very helpful and very calming. Um, and yeah, I, I've, I've, um, Never given up on therapy, if that makes sense. I I, I I was very evangelistic about it when I found my CBT therapist and I'm just as happy with my my now ADHD specialist therapist I have. Did that answer your question?
0: Yes, that's great. Thank you. Okay.
4: Um, can I ask something going back to what, what you and Emma were talking about in terms of employees and things like that? I think it's a lovely notion to be open and and mm. certainly but sometimes you don't know what it is you necessarily need until you 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 come to a challenge or you come to something and think why am I finding this so difficult ah that's why like a shape mm. exercise or filing alphabetically or something that
1: oh we lost you there you've come back but you're on mute how can we unmute you yeah, I've asked oh, sorry
5: did i did I
4: mute again you, you yeah, dropped off yeah. and
1: came back so we we you might have to repeat that
4: for a oh okay, yeah, no, I was just going to say I really love the notion of um being open in terms of with employees mm. uh if you're uh new and for whatever need and and, and similarly to what emma said, I think it's great to to say to come up with solutions, but sometimes you don't necessarily know what a solution is until you meet the problem you to understand why you're finding it so hard sometimes. Does that make sense? Like, why am I finding this yeah. filing alphabetically backwards hard? It's taking me hours, you know, or something. But I've moved on from that now. But, you know, like even little things like spreadsheets or or whatever it is that are part of, you know, any working life. um, Is that something the Richmond fellowship in your mind is could support with or or how have you sort of handled challenges where you've met them and and then realized in the process of doing them or afterwards ah that's why i find it so
1: difficult so i think that's where the reflexive that kind of um that curious nature comes in mm-hmm. i think and i learned that from cbt to be honest, like i that that kind of why is this happening what did I struggle with there breaking down the the events of my day and trying not to necessarily like judge them but like try and understand oh this this input led to this output mm. you know, and, and and that kind of um reflectiveness um of of myself and, and led me to be able to identify those 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 problems those gaps that I was struggling with mm. and there are there are things that you can do sort of um, in, in workplace environments that, that are more retrospective of a process, mm. but being retrospective with yourself is is that. Not to be evangelistic about therapy again, but that might be where a therapist or or a coach or or a friend, um, you know, some, but I, I, is some someone you can work through that process with, is very useful. Um, yeah. I'm sure there are structures that I'm not aware of because I'm privileged enough to be able to pay for my own therapy for the last four years. That that you can do yourself. Um, I don't have those answers, so, but I'm sure other people do.
2: Thank there you. are yeah. also there are also some charities. Um, I know uh, there's an autistic charity in London that specifically do mentors, and that's exactly what those mentors are for: are to help people kind of identify what processes are not working or they're not understanding, and try and help people in work themselves, mm. so that you can shoot off an email to them and say, "I'm really struggling with this. I don't understand it. Have you got any tips or tricks?" and that mentor can then kind of either research or come back to you and kind of go well have you tried looking at it this way or have you tried doing it this way or change change that thing around so that it's a task that then works for you um so it's worth having a quick google and finding out um whether there's any mentoring that's specific to your difficulties that may be able to help
0: great thank you Hi, can I just ask a question on behalf of somebody whose mic's not working properly, um, which is how different uh, is what the ADHD therapist provides compared to the CBT?
1: Yeah, Um, now it might be a quirk of my individual therapist, um, but it always felt, uh, when I've been in the process a while, it felt like we were trying to dig to find something that that would be a revelation that would be this answer to a bunch of different threads that was never really there. Um, in, in, in that way that I think sometimes the stereotype of, of therapy is that if you ever mention your parents, you will end up having all of your problems assigned to, to the way you were brought up or anything like that. Uh, it, it felt sometimes like we were trying to mine for something that he, he didn't have the grasp on. Um, and, uh, and in the end, I, I actually, um, I've forgotten this completely, but like he became completely unreliable as well, which is one of the reasons I stopped seeing him. But uh, yeah, um, the therapy was was yeah trying to find this source thing, but but neither he or I had this context for for the way my brain worked, so so we were never going to find it. And and now with someone who understands the 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 biology of how my brain works as well as the the emotions of 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 living a life, that we've been able to make a lot more progress. And and you know. So the, my ADHD specialist therapist is still CBT, you know, still, um, it's still, but it's, there's this missing puzzle piece that we, me and her both know about that helps us um, get to more and better answers.
3: If I may help answer one of Beth's questions, which was how can you get help at work if you don't know what to help you. want. One of the things I found really useful was when I was talking to people who had been working with them already for like five, ten years, they already had identified behaviours that they saw was kind of Emma quirks. Once I realised, ah, this is actually because of ADHD, it was a way to help explain that and I would stop apologising for being me. And it also meant that I trying to do things that really I was never really going to be that good at but I'd always felt like I should be so it was a way to help explain and help me give me a little bit of a defense not as an excuse but ah that's why I struggled that okay guys I'm not going to be good at that but you will know me now that you can depend on me in this other way and it just helped to re-understand why all my appraisals had the word attention to detail on but none of them were talking about promotions and that sort of thing. So that was what was helpful for me and yeah. helping to explain to colleagues why they might be seeing the things that they were already seeing. So Yeah,
1: yeah there's a thing, we're not looking for excuses, we're looking for understanding, right? We're not, we're not identifying and saying, I have ADHD and therefore I will need this help. As an excuse yeah. for poor performance or whatever, but because we're trying to understand ourselves. Uh, yeah, I completely agree with that.
3: Um, and the other so, thing that I found really, sorry, Alexi, <laughs> <laughs> hi, ADHD, I interrupt, mm-hmm. um, was the whole um, recognition responsive euphoria being the counterpart to um, mm-hmm. problems with emotional regulation in that it helped explain for the first time why I got so buoyed up and enthused when I got the slightest bit of praise but absolutely crushed when I got any criticism whatsoever and that I noticed back from primary school but I I was able to sit down with my boss and say this is why I keep asking you and for did I do okay and you may been before about having a lot of overvaluing authority figures and it was like ah oh, that's why but it meant I could then explain to colleagues you know if you're happy with what I've done please tell me because I really need to hear it more than you'd expect and to put that message across I found really helpful.
1: And uh, so a step beyond that as well for me is is once you know that you're likely to do that you can start breaking it down and interrogating it and understanding why you seek that that external validation and and like I'm really proud of like when I started my new job last year one of the things they asked in my sort of induction was how do you want to learn our system do you, do you want textbooks do you want documentation do you want to take some you just want to shadow someone and I knew the answer in a way that I wouldn't have done you know the two years before that or the two years before that. And it, you know, for me now it's set me a problem and my curiosity in wanting to solve that problem, I will unpack everything I need to know about at least solving that problem. Uh, Yet yeah, they're answering, and, and, and I was able within the first month of that job to know that I'd done a good job even though no one had ever told me. And not that they weren't saying it, but does that make sense? Like you can, once you can break down where those, those uh, values come from, you can actually try and shift it to yourself and not care if you're not being told that you've got a good job or not. <sighs> okay, um, so I think it's time for you to go through here. So I'm going I'm to disappear onto the other computer. Oh, uh, Can you get up the sharing screen for me?
2: Thank you. <laughs> We, we, we did just show behind the magic there. We're not actually in two separate houses. Um, we're just in two separate rooms. Um, so I split my talk into basically three sections. Um, how, what and why. Because um, I like neat little things like that. Um, so a little bit of background to how I found my superpowers. and um, I do think a bit of superpowers now um when i was approaching diagnosis i didn't it was why why is everything so tiring um there's a comedian who's autistic who describes herself as a permanently exhausted pigeon that's pretty much where i am um and i'll go into a little bit about why that is um further along. Um, But when I was at uni my brother was diagnosed with dyspraxia um, and my parents are both in teaching, uh, university lecturers. Um, My mum was a primary school teacher for a while and now has moved on to other things. So they went and researched it when my brother was diagnosed and he was diagnosed because, although he's very, very bright, very, very intelligent, he wasn't able to get across his points in a written format. And it was because of this dyspraxia, this uh, coordination issue. Um, And... So my parents just researched it and kind of went, ah, maybe both of our kids are just that little bit dyspraxic. Um, and I didn't think that much of it um, until I got to uni and I saw a difference between essays that i typed and essays that i had handwritten. Um, and you know you have those days at university where you've got to get an essay in and you write the essay in three hours. If I compared an essay that I did that way and typed it back at my flat, and an essay that I've sat in an exam room and typed for three and handwritten for three hours, um, there was a consistent 10% difference in the grading, even if I had exactly the same kind of level of knowledge. Um, so I kind of went, there's something not quite working here. Um, I had, um, during school, I was generally ignored. I'm a fairly bright student, certainly when teachers talk to me they got that impression of, well, actually, she knows what she's talking about. If she's interested in something, she's read up about it. She knows more facts than most people um, because I was an incredibly avid reader when I was younger. Um, I do remember that I used to go through about 10 books a week, so more than one book a day. Uh, can't keep that up these days, but um, one day maybe I'll return to that. Um, and so, I got the diagnosis at university and it meant that it i could access that support so i then started being able to type in examined um circumstances and that immediately again put my grades up it allowed me to reach that further potential just by using a different way of communicating um, and that has been really helpful during my working life because I have been able to um, turn around and go, well, actually, I need a different way of doing this. These are these are the ways that I can interact with. Um, I mean, I I say type. I still only type with one hand. I type quite quickly, but I actually don't have the coordination for two hands still, um, and that's 35 years later. Um, And then my autism diagnosis has literally been in the last year. Um, I have suffered with anxiety and depression for most of my life. Certainly when I used to try and do diaries when I was about 11 to 13, um, there was stuff in there that you can quite clearly see that I was depressed um, and was struggling with the anxiety then um and then a few years ago i was at a position where i'd reached society's happiness goals i had a job i had a husband i had a house i had my cats <laughs> and that should have been a contentment point um and it wasn't so i kind of started going well okay what is going to make me happy what is putting that barrier between me and being content. Um, so I then kind of went to my doctor and went, look, there's this is depression and anxiety that's actually been there a long time. Um, and I went through various rounds of CBT, I went through um various therapists trying and again as Alexi was saying, there is this focus from a lot of talking therapies of there are these layers and if you attack these layers you'll kind of get to the core reason as to why you are depressed or why you are anxious um and when you're neurodiverse actually sometimes coping with that neurodiversity and not being able to recognize it is that core reason um and because you're trying to work within a framework that you don't recognise is there. Um, And it's exhausting, Um, particularly as a female with autism, we tend to naturally try to mask to try and copy what everyone else in society is doing around us to try and fit in. And that's why we're not diagnosed as quickly, why there aren't as many women diagnosed with autism, because these behaviours you are trained into from a very young age and it is difficult to get past that mask or to understand certainly at this point now where I've been wearing that mask for over 30 years and understanding who I am and who the mask is is one of my current sort of discoveries I guess um and going through that kind of process of di- of looking at the depression and what is this what is this called what is this thing that's sitting behind it I then kind of went well actually I've got a lot of friends who are somewhere on the spectrum. Um, and talking with them and empathizing with them and kind of going and finding it's so much easier to be around them um, than anyone else. I kind of went, well, actually, maybe this is possibly the framework that I'm not recognizing. Maybe this is the reason that it's not quite making, life is not quite making sense. And it's so exhausting for me. Um, so, as a summary of that it was a quest for the self at which i then kind of got to a point where i identified what the struggle was and now i'm in this process of not just kind of going well oh poor poor me i struggle with this all so much i'm going to go and hide in a corner which is my natural way of going to things but actually What are my successes? What are my strengths? What is within this framework that means that I can work through this framework and go, well, actually, if I attack this from this angle, if I try and understand this, or if I monitor how much I'm having to sort of work masks, how much I'm having to retranslate, I'm slightly different to some people in that I can't picture things in my head um quite a lot of artists are known for having this very picturesque imagination mine works in concepts um but it means that when i'm communicating with someone else i have about three translations before i even start speaking or before i even try to understand the other person there's that extra extra work to get to where most people are normally Um, And so that's kind of how I got there. Uh, Sorry. How, what and why. Uh, That's why I kind of went through that process. Um, And uh, I have gone backwards because I'm an idiot. There we go. So having a look at what my strengths are, um, quite a lot of these strengths are common. This slide was partly my self-reflection, but also um, there are some really good um, resources from the Autistic Society about what a typical autistic tends to lean towards in their ways of thinking. Um, I will point out that there are so many different varieties of autists that we are all very unique in the way we present and the strengths that we present with autism and the the comorbidities that then kind of cloud that um, understanding. Um, for me, I am a problem solver. I think about things in different ways. Um, when I was younger, one of the things that I we should have picked up on really, my mum and I used to do the logic puzzles. You know those little grids where you kind of have Mary has. Uh, two dresses, um, Beth has one dress and Quinn has seven dresses, um, who has the purple dress kind of logic puzzles. Um, my mum and I would do those together. We'd end up with the same answer, but because my mum's special interest is maths, show your working. And my working was always a completely different route to my mother's entirely different and she's going well how have you made these assumptions and got to here and i've made these assumptions and got to the same place and i'm going it's it's logic. um and this concept of serologic was one of these things that just persisted throughout my life um i'm detail orientated um i'm quite a good person at doing things like proofreading um, And kind of getting into something and double checking and making sure that all of the details are sorted out. Um, But I am also very patient with tasks because I (laughs) am dyspraxic. I um, have spent a lot of my time being told it's not good enough. Try again. Try again. Try again. And you, you respond to that in two different ways. Either you just go can't do it and run away or you respond to that in, okay, let's try it again. And developing that patience. Um, And one of the things that kind of threw a spanner in the works of my dyspraxia um, diagnosis is when you you diagnose dyspraxic children, there's one test they do where you thread a shoelace through some beads, um, which is a coordination, quick coordination test. I've been sewing for many, many years so i have adapted around how to thread a needle without using the same kind of pathways that most people do looking looking where the hole is and putting it through the hole i will now actually mostly thread a needle without barely seeing it because i'm actually feeling for where that hole is and i found a different way that my body can do that that works for me Um, I am curious and inquisitive um, and I am creative and innovative um, and that kind of comes with the problem solving. Uh, I'm also brutally honest, open and loyal um, and that's one of the things that I I know some people find very difficult to cope with sometimes um, because if you ask me a question, I will give you the answer, whether that answer is societally societally acceptable or not Um, and I I am one of these people that actually if I have developed the well actually if I share everything then the people who are having the same struggles as me know that I struggle Um, and there's so much in our society that we don't talk about or we don't acknowledge. And the only way we're going to get past and become comfortable with those things in society is by people being that kind of brutally open and honest. Um, And I am tenacious. If I have decided I am doing a thing, I will do the thing. It may take me all day, I will do the thing. Um, I was up till five o'clock this morning because I had a work task that was irritating me. Um, And so I just went... I'm going to get this thing done. I need to get this thing done. I cannot sleep unless I get this thing done. So I will just sit and work through it and get all the details sorted. Um, but also because I am the odd, weird little kid in the corner, I'm actually more accepting of other people. Everybody has their struggles. Everybody has their own personality. Everybody has their own mind view. And you're never going to know anyone else's mind view because you're not in their mind. Um, So actually accepting what people tell you about their mind um, has developed along with the accepting of myself. Um, I'm also a strategic thinker Um, when I was younger. And this this seems like a stupid move, um, but I was incredibly into politics. Politics is one of my special interests um, that I can go on about all day. Um, But it meant that I actually went into working in politics um, for quite a while. And I found that the way that I was best helpful was in doing that strategic thinking, in working in campaigning and kind of looking at that big picture and little picture and going, okay, well, if we do this and this and this, then you're going to reach that many people. And and that kind of strategic will actually, if I draw this all out, this could work um, so moving on a little bit because i do tend to talk and there's no one to tell me to shut up so, which is a bit of a dangerous thing i am a tangential thinker um, so what does this look like for everybody else um and it's really easy to focus on the difficulties um, i entitled this slide who is this clark kent anyway um, because as a female artist i spend a lot of my time masking so most of the time you will see clark kent she will not see superman um, and in terms of the kind of when people notice that I am different. So, when they see through the mask, um, what you're seeing is anger and frustration at not being able to understand a thing or not being able to communicate a thing. Um, someone who is very fidgety, I'm physically quite awkward. Um, and there is this kind of uncanny valley effect of me trying to mimic the social interact- interactions of everyone around me. Um, and in fact, that mimicking. Was noticed very early on. Um, One of the kind of things that my parents always kind of draw back to is that before I was even in primary school, I could mimic Michael Howard, who at that point was a low-end conservative minister, (laughs) um, and not quite the kind of higher-end politician that he is today. Um, But it was that mimicking is what keeps my mask up, Um, but. Uh, not always so much with me, but certainly with some other autists I know. It can mean that people are kind of like, there's something not real, there's something not authentic about this person. It that, gives that kind of uncanny valley effect. Um, you will notice that I will be out of sync with social conversations. That conversation that happened two minutes ago, I, I've suddenly brought back because actually I had a point, but it took me a while to translate into something that everyone else will understand. So... I'm that kind of out of sync and I'm not quite understanding where the conversation is going. So you end up with kind of inappropriate interventions or I'm talking over other people. Um, and as much as I try and kind of fit in, I don't always get that right because those unwritten rules I do not understand. Um, so <laughs> you also get the sobbing, exhaustive mess of me being o- overwhelmed and overloaded. Um, and certainly, a- I've got a very accepting workplace Um, and the amount of times they've seen me just collapse at my desk in tears and I just said just let me get over it, let me go through this and then pick myself back up and start kind of just trying to reduce all of those sensory inputs and start getting back onto it. Um, and with the right support and understanding, what you see is someone who is enthusiastic, someone who's passionate, who is loyal, who will go out of their way to be supportive and who are who is very, very truthful. Um, someone who is very creative. Um, I have a multitude of hobbies um, and in fact, one of the ways that I cope with social situations is I have stuff to fiddle with. So most of the time, if you see me in a group situation in a pub, I'll be sitting there with my crochet, and I'll be crocheting while everything else is going on. Um, I can be inattentive to tasks that are just given to me, um, that I've got no passion for, but I can also be incredibly focused. This high focus that ADHD people have, autists also tend to have. Um, and it can be very difficult to drag us away from that kind of but I want to know the thing and running down that track and going I need to find out this thing I need to understand it I need to solve this problem and I can't put it down until I do Um, and that can be an amazing superpower Um, it can also have its downsides of I can forget to eat (laughs) I can forget to drink but at the same time, managing it and kind of, as Alexi said, putting in those checkpoints of and even putting them on a the phone as an alarm, of going, "Have you eaten yet? <laughs> Have you drunk yet?" allows you to kind of manage that hyperfocus so that it's useful. Um, and I'm both. I'm both of these lists. I am the angry, frustrated, fidgety mess of a person. But I'm also this incredibly strong, incredibly resilient person who can be incredibly useful um, given the right support. Um, And then a look at why. Now, when we said we were going to look at the... Neurology, uh, we were talking mostly about ADHD because with autism and dyspraxia, first of all, the search for the cause has been incredibly controversial. Um, I would recommend reading Neurotypes by Steve Silverman. Um, it's really interesting about how we've kind of come along this process of going from something that was seen as childhood schizophrenia that would end would put you into a mental institution and just kind of given up on um all the way through to a society that recognizes that we think differently and in fact it's just that we think differently and in that way we possibly need to engage differently Um, and as a society we can figure that out together Autism and dyspraxia are both categorizations of behaviors and developmental difficulties. They're not a disease or an identifiable biological anomaly. Um, And it's quite important to remember that, um, particularly when you're talking to autists, that actually you can just kind of get around their difficulties if you work with them. and it's not necessarily easy um but it's also not something that you can just medicate away um it's not something that you can just treat um it means that you just have to engage in a different way um and the assumptions that have been made about the cause in autism have caused immense harm both to autists and also to the wider population. I mean you only have to look at the prevalence of the discredited um argument over vaccines and whether they cause autism. Um, I mean the study was an absolute pile of rubbish. <laughs> um, scientifically it was oh there were so many problems. Um, but it's actually meant that we've seen diseases coming back, like measles, into our population. Diseases we thought we practically got rid of. Um, And that's why I would rather see my condition as a framework that I already work within, and that I just have to understand in order to work better within, and recognizing that my framework is not the same as someone else's framework and in order to interact the two actually you kind of have to do a little bit of negotiation and be a little bit more patient and understanding of each other um, rather than being a problem to solve um, and I know there are quite a few autists who never want to be cured um, because it's such a big part of who they are as well uh, that's we don't know Um, autists are all unique in their scale and presentation you've got the people who are the idiot savants um, and I use that word with caution um, who really really struggle with everything but suddenly have their special interest and in their special interest they know everything about it Um, and the common one is seen with um mathematics there are some people who there's this mute child who just can't interact and but gives them a maths problem that's incredibly complex and they've solved it in two minutes um right through to the autist who can barely function who can barely put on clothes who can barely talk um or can't talk at all who are mute um so it is this massive spectrum um and it is quite hard to separate autistic vector disorder from the comorbidities which part of me is my autism which part of me is dyspraxia which part of me is my depression and what's which of those is causing any particular behavior at any particular one time is incredibly difficult to understand and there is also no common agreed cause um So I wanted to kind of throw it over to you guys for your impressions, your experiences, um, any questions you've got for me. Obviously, I'm more than happy to answer. Um, But also, do remember that you guys are also your own resource as well and each other's resource. Um, So do feel free to also ask each other or give us stuff that you think would be useful for everyone else to know. So I'll put that
6: over to you. Sophie you had a question. I've got two questions which really are not connected um I hope it's okay for me to go ahead what the first one is about um tummy upsets and ASD and I and I wondered whether or not you've experienced any like tummy ache and tummy discomfort um I'm thinking particularly at night time or at the end of the day and um, would love to hear about that and then the other question I had was around whether or not you both have reflected on um your neurodivergence and your finding each other and being together and whether you think that um that part of the superpower of it has been finding each other but also part of the challenge might be being in relationship and and being supportive and understanding and aware of both of your needs around that as well yeah
2: absolutely um so I have kind of read about this kind of, again, comorbidity of stomach issues and ASD. And I do have stomach issues, but I also have some mental health issues that kind of complicate the picture for me. Um, it was actually a relief for me to read that um, some autism, uh, some autists actually don't recognize when they get hungry um because i don't um and i tend to ascribe it to the fact that when i was younger i went through a phase where i wouldn't eat um because i was being bullied i wouldn't eat at lunchtime and then i'd come home and i'd get in a because i was a because t- i was a teenager i'd get in a fight with my parents my parents would say well if you're not going to eat at the table you're not going to eat at all um and they never really meant that um but i took it literally <laughs> as I tend to do um, so I spent a good couple of years literally just living on cups of tea and so I kind of ascribe it to well I lost that sense of hunger that understanding that hunger then um but actually I'm still kind of looking at that may actually be part of my um difficulties with my autism is that I don't understand what hunger is I don't understand what those. Um, the signals are i can't read them particularly um, so it's still a little bit of a research point for me um, but yeah no it, it is something that i do have issues with and i've certainly in my reading i've come across quite a few autists who have some form of um i know the fodmap diet gets mentioned quite a bit um, as a way to kind of calm that Stomach issues, and actually start. And I think the theory behind that stuff is basically freeing up that kind of brain space um, because we are having to overthink so many things. And that when you kind of squash down the hunger issues, you create that brain space for you to just have that slightly more paced way of doing things.
1: Um, yeah absolutely uh, and then food with ADHD is also interesting as well um, because you can hyper focus to the point where you feel even if you are hungry and you're feeling a lot of stress and like desire to go and eat, I just need to finish this thing so I can go and eat something, doesn't actually necessarily mean you want to stop and try and go and eat something right so so there's this sort of thing that I've, I've gotten much more aware now of oh, I'm about to hit a limit, I, I, you know, uh, I did a camping trip last year and like overdid did it and fell over and I'm like, oh, hang on, I'm starting to be aware of like, I need to keep track of this and, and, uh, and, and be aware of my limits when I need to do that stuff, sorry.
0: Sorry, Alexi, um, could you step a little bit clearer, uh, closer to the computer? You're just a bit quiet. Sorry. Thanks. <laughs> okay. Or we could both stand. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm gonna the <laughs> and I think Angela's <laughs> got a question, by the way. Um, just in answering...
1: You're right <laughs> to speak to Okay. And then we can... Because I just yeah, want to answer Sophie's... Can you hear us both now? Great. Okay, I was
2: just going to answer Sophie's second question, which is, I do think that um, connecting with your tribe um, and other people who think in similar ways to you is one of our superpowers. Um, I mean, we found each other not through any of the kind of communities. Uh, We found each other through something entirely different. But, But it it was one way in which we were able to kind of immediately kind of connect because we started with kind of having these conversations because we're both tangential thinkers yeah. we both kind of had this long winding conversation we both followed it and very often neurotypical people don't follow those kind of tangential conversations quite quite as well yeah I tend to find anyway um
1: maybe yeah. I mean possibly because <laughs> of the subject that I talk on. <laughs> Um, But then also, like, the benefit of being in a relationship with someone who understands your diversity is absolutely apparent, Like I think.
2: Oh, the amount of times that we have a conversation and go, actually, I'm really sorry, this is why I need to do this this way, and this is what's making me anxious, or this is what I mean by this, and I don't think you're understanding it has been really really useful so we moved in together purely for lockdown i'm actually moving back to my home city um this weekend and we were able to do that probably the easiest i've ever lived with anyone else (laughs) because we have that open honest communication and we understand that we absolutely require it because our brains think differently to most people and the only way we can find that bridge is by being that like, focused on how do we communicate?
1: Yeah, and I, I don't think that there's a prerequisite, if that makes sense, to have a neurodiverse partner. Um, I've certainly had other relationships that were very rewarding and very supportive without them being obviously neurodiverse, like we might all actually find out that but everyone's neurodiverse, but anyway. uh, Like, but certainly there are being able to be open about this stuff i think is probably the more important thing and whether that is your uh, i almost said normal anxiety and depression like uh, like whether it is those more uh, typical problems or or more common anyway um problems or whatever it is that you need the support in in your relationship being able to speak about it is absolutely the most vital thing
2: um I was going to say with the overdiagnosis um, on ADD rather than ASD, hmm. um, diagnosis is your only way to clarify. Really, knowing the difference may help, but actually, know the, know the person. Um, I was having a conversation with Axe yesterday, and one of the things I'm really grateful for was although so part of me kind of wishes that I knew that I was autistic when I was younger so that we could have tackled things a little difficult a little differently but actually my parents were really accepting of me as I say they had sassy logic there was just sassy's and uh, sassy's nickname my parents call me um but it's just my quirks um the ways that I work um and Because of that acceptance and that willingness, certainly when trying to support me with things like schoolwork or going, well, okay, the teacher's taught you one way, let's try and look at this in a completely different way um, and find a way that you can understand it. That acceptance and kind of willingness to work with me, I think is probably one of the Reasons that I have gotten to where I am today without having Needing that diagnosis earlier Um,
5: Uh, So
2: I I always say go with the person and certainly on bringing a child kindly out of hyper focus um, I Think The best way to do it is just be gentle with them but firm. Um, or I and certainly when I was when I was working with people where I was so I was PA for six years. Um, and certainly with the kind of executives that I worked with I also had the kind of subtle ways of looking after them of, oh dear, I appear to have put your coffee on your desk that I haven't asked for. Um, and for some people, that is a good way to kind of go, oh yeah, I need to drink a drink. Now, however, yeah. I can't do that for Axe.
1: Yeah, my, my, my coffee breaks are my, are my check-ins that make sure that I'm not banging my head against the wall on the same problem without rethinking it. And so I need to take a moment Step away from the problem. Stand up from my computer. Walk downstairs. Go make a coffee. And you know, when I was in the office, it would be whatever. It doesn't matter. It's still that time away from trying to solve the problem, so that I can think about it. And so, actually, I need those moments where I can step away. And so, within the first week, when she was coming in with coffee, I was like, I'm really confused. What's going on? <laughs> uh, it, anyway, yes. So, so, uh, so I and I think someone.
2: I think also valuing. Valuing that period of being away from the thing you're hyper focused on, and allowing that child to kind of understand that sometimes you need to walk away from a problem in order to understand it, and maybe, and maybe they should just, and ask them to be willing to try. What if we walk away from this for five minutes, and your brain, your brain will still be going on about it, but you might find a different way of thinking about it if you just. Pause for a moment, um, and explaining it to them. This is why I'm doing it. This is what I want you to get out of it. Actually, is so much more useful.
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't know because I didn't. I, I, I've never had to deal with a child in hyperfocus or been a child in you know with that specific term. So yeah, I, I don't know. I mean,
2: I used what to maybe. walk while reading, and that's really bad for a dyslexic kid. Yeah. I landed on my head
1: a lot. So. Uh, Juliet, is it that's next? Was that, Angela? No? Angela So our James has got a hand up, so let's go with
4: that. Sorry, it's Rachel. I don't know why. It keeps changing my name back. <laughs> um, do you both find uh, emotional communication easy or difficult? So, I, I struggle with this. It's what we call alexithymia. I can't always, particularly if I'm in a, a high-stress situation, I can't recognise what is that's going on emotionally in the moment like my whole mind is focused on I've got to get through what I'm going through and it's not until I'm in a safe space later on that I look back and think oh that's what I was feeling um I just wonder do either of you struggle with that and and how you know do you have anything to help you deal with it
1: um being okay like with a for me it comes down to like ha- having a proper apology if that makes sense like knowing what you've Done wrong, knowing that it was wrong, and even if it wasn't your fault, right? Because you were driven by this other thing that you you don't necessarily have a control over. It's someone's someone else is still being hurt by what you said, maybe. And and I just try and make it okay then, to then actually to to not have, hold that in. And 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 so so even when I was cooking dinner before this call earlier, I was a little bit stressed, knowing this was coming, and wanted, wanted to get through dinner. And then trying to solve some technical problems. And like, so you do go to, the, to that instant, I can't deal with this right now. I'm trying to do this thing and this awesome other input that I can't deal with. But I'm familiar enough with that feeling that I just get to the apology as soon as I can and, and, and go, look, I'm really sorry. I just took that out on you. It was wrong for these reasons. You were just trying to help for this. I, yeah. Does that make sense like it's it, it, that's my coping strategy for that situation of knowing that i had I know how to identify what hurt has been made or whatever
2: for me i tend to i recognize this pattern of I do the thing and it particularly happens with crisis, mm. um, so say a drink spills over, and it happens a lot with me <laughs> just does um, and I have to. Get in clean, thought, and if anyone interrupts me, I can't cope. I just can't cope um, because I don't deal with the emotional impact of, well, actually, I've done a thing and everything's wet. And, ah, I don't deal with that until afterwards when I've calmed down. So, what I start doing is I start allowing myself and allowing people around me to know that once I've gone through a crisis, I am going to need some time to process that crisis I've just been through. Um, and building in that time and building in that space to kind of go, okay, what have I just gone through? What just happened there? What am I feeling about that? Um, mm. And to then and to sit and then afterwards then kind of contact the other people who may be around me and gone. Okay, this is what happened. This is what I was feeling. I'm sorry I couldn't tell you that because I I can just kind of go ah, mm. and I can't say. I need help right now or I can't say I'm really angry with you right now because I, I actually can't identify them. I'm really angry with them. I'm just tense. And so sort of having again that kind of pause and going back and going, okay, look, I was really angry with you at, at that point because you were doing this, this, and this, which my brain was going, well, I need this, this, and this done. And they didn't match. And maybe if this happens again, maybe we find a different way of doing it because actually I've identified that this is what was causing that emotion, what that emotion was. And this is how we can either avoid that or encourage it. Um, so it's a lot of it is I do a lot of self-analysis and self-reflection in order to kind
1: of just check in and go. What What happened? Uh, and just one last point before we let Jemima take over. Like, And like, I almost sometimes worry that I'm too reflective, that I overburden, overanalyze, overlook at everything, because it's the one tool I might use for most situations now. It's the one tool that I will will look at. And so, so yeah, I, I actually slightly worry that I over-reflect on things. Sometimes there's a criticism. Thank you, Jemima. You are on mute. You're on mute.
2: Jemima, do you want to take yourself off
1: mute? Mm. Jemima, you're on mute. Ah, there we
0: go. Sorry, beg your oh. pardon, my fault. Uh, yeah, it was just to let you know, I'm not sure if you can see the little blue hands, but it's Angela, then Juliet, then Emma, they've been waiting for... Okay, so if we go to... the Uncle- of, of wisdom. <laughs>
6: So, um, first of all a huge thank you to you both um, for all your insights and for sharing and taking your time. Um, this is really timely for me because tomorrow morning I'm expecting to get a diagnosis from my five year old daughter, of, Good luck. Um, mixed feelings and, and all sorts as I'm sure you understand. Um, I'm really keen, I don't want to change who she is. Um, but at the same time um, one of our biggest difficulties is groups and group environments yeah. um, as I'm sure you can understand um, to the point where um, a first term at school was hugely damaging to her and we've pulled her out after a term and she's now being oh, home, uh, home, home educated and thriving now um, but she doesn't have friends she, she, she's very good in a one-to-one situation with another child But of course life isn't like that and so many even home education things revolve around group situations. I just wondered what your thoughts were on whether I persevere with slowly, slowly, slowly building her up to exposure with larger numbers of children or whether this is always going to be hugely stressful and and anxiety inducing for her. Um, going I think what I said about Not wanting to change Who she is Yeah mm. It's always going to be a amount
2: of Stressfulness For her um, But there is Value in Kind of Letting her do that At a pace That she is Comfortable with So do Introduce her But kind of Give her those Expectations beforehand Um, let her know how many people are going to be there um, what the surrounding environment is going to be like if you can um, what kind of levels of noise there might be um, and what kind of sensory inputs that she might have um, and worth investigating um, if you're going to go to a big event, which she might not be ready for for a good long while, um, whether there's things like sensory um, spaces or spaces where she can kind of just step out, have a few minutes and then go back in. Um, So one of my problems that I have with my dyspraxia is that at a certain point in groups, I can't hear the person in front of me talk because there's so much sensory input, I can't filter. it. So it's always going to be stressful for me. However there are some things that I can do um, using kind of isolation headphones and you can get isolation earbuds now so it's not having to have this huge thing on your head anymore Um, and giving myself that well okay I'll do it but I'll only do it for an hour or so at the most because that's how much I can cope with Um, so making sure she's really clear on what the expectations are what the environment is as much as you can um so yeah do kind of slowly introduce her but also let her have that kind of control of
6: knowing what she's going into um it's more the um thanks for that I, and um the, i totally appreciate everything you've said um so we do a lot of warning and thinking ahead and looking at yeah. pictures of where we're going and so on it's um more than one voice at a time or more than one friend to play with at a time is impossible for her she it's so she difficult to focus. she might see the friend that she wants to play with playing with other people and she she but they're not playing with me and and um it's it, it's just a complete closure to playing with more than one person at a time
1: so uh, i think my advice there would be that it's okay for someone else to choose not to play with you like you can't uh, and I, I don't know how. I'm not a parent. I don't know how necessarily to to teach that lesson if that makes sense. But that other people in the schoolyard can make their own choices too, and that might not include you. And that if you can have the thing that makes you feel good and makes you happy to be there, whether that in, you know if, if that's a, a solo activity you can do in the same space yeah. or, um, or or something like that, I I wonder if that it's so, it's a really hard lesson to learn a, even as an adult but not everyone likes you and or not uh, yeah so
2: so i um certainly before covid i ran a community group um that met once a month and one of the things that i did for that was every time i bought a massive bag full of board games mm. and art and activities and lego because with the thinking behind that, actually, someone who's an introvert, someone who finds social um, interaction really difficult, may find that fiddling with something or having something you can do just to pull yourself out of that group for five minutes um, in that in the same space is really helpful to then kind of regulate. Okay, well, I can step into it and then I can step back. <laughs> um so i'm pretty much always sitting with my crochet around me in social situations because i can sit and do my crochet and i can convert and i can converse or i can just sit and do my crochet and just kind of look down and go okay that's fine there's many people around me i can now try and tune myself into the person i'm speaking to and listen or listen to the groups that are talking around me um so actually having something like a fidget cube, I would have suggested, um, or having an activity that, if others decide they don't want to play with her, she can do something. If she needs a break from other people, she can do something, but at the same point, that doesn't shut her off from engaging either. so she can then make that choice. Um, would have been my suggestion?
1: Yeah. And this is this is what a pigeon cube is. It's just yeah. lots of different tactile sensations.
6: Thank you very much. Thanks. Yeah, that might be good. It's it's more about how she is kind of closed off to um, to, any, to being with more than one other person at a time. Um, oh, she, right, okay. That, so, but that's her choice as well. Yeah,
1: so feels yeah like but, she to... des-
6: but she then feels very sad, and she'll, she'll even say, I'm yeah. sad. I want." To, she wants to play with them, but she just can't quite get into it. She finds mm. the multiple voices just too stressful. Um, but I think it might be worth doing something like taking along some art or yeah. something, and maybe then others might join her, or they might not. And um, that's that's, yeah, um, that's a good idea and it might also desensitise her a bit to, yeah. to everything that's going round.
2: And certainly with my crochet, actually half the time it means I speak to more people because people go, Oh, what are you doing? Mm. So people come and engage with me rather than me having to go, so hi, I don't know yeah. you. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> And and nothing more engaging. magnetism
1: as a book uh, for a conversation and having a book on a train, right? And
2: yeah, that kind of thing. and people go, oh, what are you reading? What's yeah. it about? So actually, that also helps bring other people to have that kind of curiosity about her, which mm. brings, which makes that interaction, again, easier because she's not having to start it.
6: Great idea, and it's com- something concrete, and actually they're finding out about the thing that she's interested in, which is what she yeah. thinks about. Anyway, thank you so much. Yeah. No,
0: that's funny. Okay. Brilliant. Can we talk to Juliet next? Yeah.
5: Hi. Um, so my question is actually um, related to hyperfocus and um, and uh, self-directed learning and how um, that works. So my child is um, diagnosed with ASD and um, went to. Um, mainstream school up to now but is about to go to um, a school which is self-directed which I'm partly very happy about but at the same time anxious about (laughs) and mainly because of his intense hyper focus and how they're going to manage that but I suppose that's that's uh, you know I'm just and that might be a question you find quite difficult because you might not have experienced this I'm just wondering if any other children amongst you um uh, yeah, are in this situation, um, you know,
1: mm.
5: yeah, what are the benefits self-directed learning? I don't know. I, I, I wish,
1: wish I'd known <laughs> what, because the way I learn now... Um, when I'm trying to learn for something I'm interested in as an adult, isn't the way that I learned when I was a kid. And I, if I known then like, so I think if I wanted to learn something now, it would be like, I want to learn how to do this thing on this Raspberry Pi I've got or mm. whatever. Like I would be following all of those threads. And as long as my curiosity is engaged, I'm going to always be pushing that learning forward. And I, I might end up with dead ends or something, but then that just means you, you're learning about like that, for, you know, that uh, that some things won't work or, or, or whatever, uh, and I think that actually that hyper-focus curiosity it, it doesn't necessarily need to be managed if that makes sense. I, and I, I wonder if that's with an adult versus a child. Versus yeah.
2: Well, I mean, I would say that actually following that curiosity is incredibly helpful. Hmm. So I was really annoying to my parents when I was younger because I wanted to I I wanted to learn to read incredibly early um and my parents got fed up with me going what's that word how do you say that <laughs> what what's that word actually mean so my parents handed me a dictionary and a thesaurus told me how to look it up and said go away and do it yourself um, and following that curiosity can be a great way of teaching of teaching and learning for a child so one of the um interesting pedagogical ways of doing it is saying okay well if they're interested in say dinosaurs and they want to know everything about dinosaurs well actually that topic was in itself you can teach maths you can teach art you can teach so by following that curiosity and kind of just guiding it slightly into well okay well this is what we want them to learn so how do we follow that curiosity and get them to do something that includes that actually is incredibly useful for understanding something because they want, they want to learn, they want to know the thing. And if you're understanding that and following that, then they will learn it. Um, My ex-husband learned to read when he was 12. Um, And it was because he loves tanks, and he had these beautiful picture books of tanks with words underneath them that he didn 't understand and In order to know more, he taught himself to try and understand what those words were and what they meant and kind of, and I mean nowadays he 's never seen without a book um, and it's because it is that kind of self directed learning of he found a topic he found something that he was interested enough that he needed to that he then wanted to put all the skills that were needed for him to understand that topic into play and that's one of the great things about that kind of hyper focus and curiosity is you do kind of go okay well I'm not understanding that so what do I need to understand it and then you run off in this direction and you go well actually if I learn this basic um knowledge that will help me understand that which will help me understand that which will help me understand that and all of a sudden you've got a wide range of set of skills that you've learned because actually you want to know one fact (laughs) um so actually I, I I I know it's anxious because there's so many different things about going into a different environment that, and change is never easy. Um, mm. But actually self-directed learning, particularly for someone who is curiosity-driven, is actually a really good way of getting to learn. Um, yeah. So I think in that sense, be joyful about it um, yeah. and and kind of... Yeah, follow their curiosity. Um. I'm just, and then another
5: question I had was about the CBT therapist and um, finding someone who, who understands neuro, neurodiversity. How did you go about finding someone um, so like that? The so
2: autistic, the Autistic Society do have um, links out to um, okay. counsellors who specifically deal with autism. Um, the educational services and, um, special educational needs services of your local council should also have some recommendations. Um, so, and my, my current therapist, um, actually I just went and looked for them. Um, I did a general search for, um, therapists who have a particular interest in adult autism um, and she actually um, lives down in Kent so I have to have Skype sessions with her but I kind of went well I I need someone who understands that framework in order for me to get anywhere with it so it's a case of looking but yeah the autistic society um, and the local council should be able to kind of put you in the right direction
1: um, and, okay. and in regards to sort of normal therapists and stuff, so my my CBT therapist had an office in my GP surgery, even though he was private, and and in fact there was a discount for going and seeing him as someone who you know, that was my GP surgery, so I didn't have to pay as much. For example, so even though it was private, it was actually something I could afford, um, and and so therefore, it, and you know, there's, there's a trusted link there, right? I'm going to my GP and he's recommending this person. that's in the same building. It didn't ever feel like okay. A, a big divide um, The so for for the therapist I see for my ADHD that's been more of a local network and support group thing, um, I'm lucky enough in Cambridge that we have a dedicated ASD and um, ADHD diagnostic cl- clinic so we have a lot of um, so we have a lot more diagnoses if that makes sense so therefore there's a lot more mm. social groups and stuff around, um, AD, I think it's in my slide notes, um, it's ADD ability is the support Mm. group that's in Cambridge and the leader of that is actually um is my therapist so uh, yeah I I was on her waiting list for something like six to nine months um and yeah and
5: do, do you get um do you get sort of um support financial support if you are um if you're diagnosed as neurodivergent then or oh, not so necessarily there
1: would be there were so mm-hmm. the nhs provided me with some group therapy sessions i think there were six to 12 sessions uh and that was it um and then so and i i say i have privilege i'm lucky enough that i was able to go and find something when i needed more
2: and it depends on your local NHS um, because it depends on the clinical commissioning group and what they've got in terms of pathways. Mm. Sorry, use the working clinical so commissioning in, yeah. uh, <laughs> in fact, ironically, I was working, uh, I was doing the admin support for our autism pathway when it came in because um, I was working for the clinical commissioning group at the time. And. Um, So when it came to me looking at my diagnosis, I was like, well, I know what this pathway does. (laughs) Um, But so it it, it is dependent, um, but it's also dependent on what the, (laughs) what the kind of depth of diagnosis is um, and how disabling, um, because as I say, certainly with ASD, it's such a wide spectrum that I wouldn't get any support because I can hold down a job and live a normal life. But, Someone else who's also diagnosed may not even be able to put their clothes on every day um, or communicate with anyone, and at which point then you start getting the disability benefits and the living benefits starting to come in. Um, Okay, thank you. It's a minefield, but it's worth having a look at. Uh, Direct you to Emma, that would be
0: lovely. Thanks.
1: Please. Oh, thank you.
0: Um, I had a couple of questions
3: that technically I could answer by googling but I was interested to get your perspective sure. I'm aware that I have answered a few questions this evening so and I know we've only got like 10-15 minutes
1: uh, okay. anybody okay. else has
3: got a question first I'm happy to give way to them
1: Go
3: Okay so one of them was about I noticed in your slides, Sarah you said that there wasn't a cause of autism that was mentioned and I have read about ADHD causes and it seems to be something physically in the brain about the dopamine receptors and this seems to be an area where ADHD and ASD differ and I was curious to hear more about that.
2: Yeah, um, it's, and I think it's because the way that um, autism kind of developed um, was that it was seen as childhood schizophrenia um which then developed into a specific type of childhood schizophrenia which and that covers so many different types of behavior and difficulties that actually there may be many things causing it there may there's so there's no one kind of we know that the brain does this and therefore you can medicate we're very much working on well these are a massive group of symptoms that we've put into one category and there may be many causes um, in this category so we do, we can't necessarily say there is one or another. Um, there have been studies that have tried to look at the neurobiology but there's not been any kind of consensus on any, There is a, there is thought to be a genetic cause and you can see that with a lot of people Um, when you start looking at family histories that you start seeing autistic traits throughout the family um, but actually identifying those genes we're not there yet we're just not there yet
1: uh, and and with with ADHD, yes, we're a bit further along, um, but there are still things that I'll say the rejection sensitive dysphoria thing is still not officially assigned to to the emotional dysregulation that comes part of ADHD. But it's believed that that's going to come out in the not the DSM, the other one that isn't the DSM um, that that's due, I think, this year. Yeah. Um, and uh, and those those advances are sort of being made all the time. I I I yeah the what was the thing? Oh yeah, um, addictive personality thing. And like, yes, it's believed to be genetic. Um, th- there was a bit of confusion for me about the, a lot of the questions I was asked asked in my diagnostic questionnaire, which is very long. Was did my mother smoke when I she was pregnant with me? So I was like, oh, well, it's a cigarettes course. and it's not. It is more. It's actually possibly more likely that my mother was more likely to have an addictive personality if she was smoking. And so, therefore, actually, it's probably a genetic thing. It, does that make sense? Like, the same question can give you both uh, answers, but actually, it's it's probably more likely to be genetic than it is any one external cause. Yeah,
3: both of them seem to be highly genetic and yeah. highly inheritable, but the. Causes are very different. Interesting.
1: Yeah,
2: Thank you. and there there are some theories that environmental factors play into what so, that presentation.
1: Yeah, how it presents rather yeah. than so so. If you only develop it, if you have the sort of a, a childhood where you're not overcorrected, you probably won't develop all of those emotional more 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 uh, emotional ends of uh, of the present presentation. But you'll you'll still have trouble focusing on tasks, right? So Thank everyone's you. got to do something boring at some point.
3: My second question is about the dyspraxia, um, yes. which I had previously understood to be purely about kind of your coordination and in the awareness of the physical space around you, things like bumping into things and struggling with reading maps and that sort of thing. But what you've been talking about this evening has been much more about the emotional side And that's been quite interesting to me. And I'm hearing a lot of overlaps between the emotional side of ADHD
2: and dyspraxia. And I was wondering whether you can talk about that a little bit more, please. Yeah, so the clumsy child syndrome, um, as dyspraxia has been referred to before, um, yeah, is a lot about um, that coordination. But that coordination is because that coordination issue is very much because of the understanding of shape and space and time and how your brain is kind of processing that or not quite processing that or being quite slow at processing that. Um, And certainly with my dyspraxia, the thing that they kind of focused on was that my visual processing is is really quite different to my other physical ways of dealing with things um, so i'm just used to having to compensate for walking into doors i'm used to seeing bruises on various limbs and going i have no idea how i got that um, and i have had to put a lot of thinking in how i manage risk profiles in terms of how I manage the shape and space around me, knowing that I can't actually understand the shape and space around me. I understand an approximation of the shape and space around me. Um, And that I don't speak about as much, I think, just because it's just part of every day for me. Um, And actually the fallout of that is that because i now know that it's not just me being an idiot it's not just that i <laughs> my head has this target on it that goes it must reach on the floor uh, the amount of times i ended up in hospital because i landed on my head was a child was quite large <laughs> but it did mean that i got to see ghostbusters while standing on the shoulders toward of birmingham, uh, birmingham
1: hospitals so <laughs> <Tundent>. <laughs> <I'm> sorry <laughs> so uh, who was next and we've got a bunch of questions in the chat as well i'm just trying to catch up with too
0: yeah may i just ask there are some things in the chat feel free to take anything from there but you also mentioned you might be able to say something about the childhood safety
1: thing Feeling safe so so what your question was um thank you um let me see uh, I can't. Oh, I think you sent it to the other computer.
0: Shall uh, I just say? You you, yeah, just yeah, yeah, I was just saying, um, I, I have uh, one of my children um, seems uh, you neurodiverse, know, exploring exactly how at the moment, but mm. something probably ADHD uh, as well as other things, and has a particular difficulty. I think it's just more of a challenge for them to feel safe and you know, to trust their own judgment. if mm. um, If they think they've been uh, sort of really impulsive about something, they then beat themselves up and sort of say, I can't make any, I can't be trusted, you know, and, and as a result feel unsafe. And, you know, that's a problem. Does that sound?
1: Yeah, amazing? yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I it took me decades to get my personal finances into control. Right, it, like that, you can kind of draw a line between that sort of childhood impulsiveness and go. Actually, if an adult was handed the keys to the kingdom, it's quite easy to see how that can go wrong. And and, and certainly also, we're at high risk of things like um, addictive, person, addictive triggers. Um, so, so about feeling safe. Building an environment where I feel safe—it's—it's it's, hmm, building rules that I can trust, uh, and and also not going overboard on those rules. I think is the thing. Actually, being trying to to have those have a soft touch or a or the, an ability to understand why they're there, right? Um, if, if you only ever save all your money and never spend any of it, then what's the point, right, kind of thing. But if you're trying to do it for a specific thing, then maybe that's okay. Like, um, or, you know, it's okay to spend this amount of time on a game. For example, so I could have a very addictive personality when it comes to video gaming, for example. And I have kind of built my own rules for when enough's enough. And, and, and mostly that comes down to how much fun I'm having. If I'm still having fun, then I'm kind of okay spending any amount of time in a hobby that I love. When it's more the...
2: I need to do a thing.
1: Yeah, or the Skinner Box thing of I'm just punching the button for the next hit of dopamine, like the next new thing, the next number that goes up, rather than a novel interaction or a story point or, or, or whatever. When I'm being played, if that makes sense, when I'm a marionette, then that's my time to stop. Um, and and that doesn't always look the same um, some games might have just this infinite amount of actual genuine fun real content that I'm just going uh, actually I've spent a week playing Satisfactory I need to stop now uh, just even if I am still having fun like because there are so many other different types of experiences that I can't have while I'm only doing this one thing
2: it's
1: a bit yeah, easier to do that when you're an adult but
2: yeah I think in terms of kind of trusting yourself mm. as a child um, I think the best thing coming from you is giving that reinforcement of support of where they've done something and they've gone oh no I've, gone, I've done that wrong I actually go, no you're okay you've got there or you've not quite but that's okay we can learn for next time and have that understanding of it it is a constantly moving process and it's only by trusting their own judgment that they're going to keep that process moving and so working with them to understand that that's the process they are going to need to go through with you and you can support them through that Um, and talk about well okay well how did it feel for you 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 seem to be beating yourself up about this but actually and it goes back to Alexi's point of it's okay to fail Mm it's okay to feel failure or to feel that that didn't go as well as it should. Yeah. And it's okay to sit with that and go box it and go, but I've done the thing it's past now. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe my judgment wasn't quite right there, but because I thought about it and because I've talked it out, then actually I can make a different decision next time and that and that knowing knowing that this is a process where they may have made the wrong decision then but that means they can build that into learning for another time gives them that kind of continuity thread that makes them kind of go well okay I can improve this and feel safer
1: you, you don't have to be perfect right you just no. have to learn as long as, yeah. as uh, if, some, if something went wrong but you learned something from it that's fine and I think that's probably the difference I have now to the points where it's been a bit more of a struggle that I actually now trust myself that I will be okay but I'll I'll make it through <laughs> so that's probably where that safety comes in <laughs> Um, Tasha had a really good question about um, uh, helpful uh, so during that processing stage do you think it would be useful for someone to reflect with you suggesting suggestions or would it be distracting or off-putting did I do that as a child too? Um, That's a
2: very individual thing I think Yeah. Um, there are some people where I need to sit and figure it out myself Um, and having someone who's as neurodiverse as me, then yes, actually, sometimes it's quite good to kind of bounce off against each other. Um, But at the same point, I've had people who have then tried to talk me through it, and I've gone, I can't think, because all I'm hearing is you. I, I need to go away. And just letting that be led by them of going, do you want to talk about this? Would it help if we whiteboarded it or something and work through what happened there um and let them make that choice um, and they won't always make the right choice for them but they'll start learning what those choices mean for them yep. um, so perhaps suggesting one time well let's try it and then if it doesn't work it doesn't work um, and being okay with that i think yeah
1: Agreed. Um, and we're actually, out we are, of
2: time. yeah, we are officially out of time.
0: Is there any closing things that you wanted to say? It's been such a full session. It's been just brilliant.
1: Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Uh, thank you, everyone, for your amazing questions and your engagement. And like the fact that there's so much here to, to look through at the chat that I can't get through it is, is incredible. <laughs> it's a testament to how much everyone's thinking about this topic. And I really appreciate your, your engagement with it in that way. No, um,
2: yeah, no. Thank, thank you for coming. I know we 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 were certainly thinking at the beginning that we're not the most expert people on this. We're still very much at a different point in our journeys than other people are. But actually, sometimes you just have to have that, hold that space. And thank you for holding that space for us, and for allowing us to hold that space for you as well. Yeah. Um, and hopefully, you've all got something out of it. Mm-hmm. judging by the comments that are scrolling in now
0: I think everybody got something from it uh, very very appreciative comments and uh, thank you everyone for uh, contributing so much and, and being so supportive of one another on the chat it's been really lovely thanks for listening to this episode of the freedom to learn podcast for more information about our work check out our website at freedom and find us on twitter facebook and instagram